At Utility Muffin Labs, we are dedicated to accommodating our consumer clients with uncontrived, austere, generalized, and adequate snack-based comestible muffin provisions for your cafeteria or common staff member gathering areas. We refrain from overt decorative adornment that can foment jobholder chaos and sedition. A saccharine workforce is a productive workforce. Procure your necessary muffin repository by visiting us at utilitymuffinlabs.com, on Facebook at Utility Muffin Labs, on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, or Utility Muffins, all one word. On Instagram at Utility Muffin Labs, one word. Support the labs on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. And finally, adorn your human form with our t-shirts at tpublic.com slash users slash Utility Muffin Labs. Utility Muffin Labs, think homogenous. This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I am Bob. And today we're going to bring you... Um, the, what would you call it, the companion piece to the book we did last week, which was a guide to the Camarilla. So there are three must-have books. Mm-hmm. Your UML must-have books, that's what we call them. It is your main vampire book. Right. You know, uh, right now it's V20, yep. right? It's where you're at, most current. Then you have to have your guide to the Camarilla, and you have to have this book, Guide to the Sabbat. Absolutely. And uh, the reason why is because that main book is going to give you all of the information that you need to know to make a character. And these two books are going to give you everything that you need to know to play in the sect that you're playing. And then if you wanted to throw a third on there, there is a guide to the Anarchs that came out, but there's also Anarchs Unbound. So we're a little, it's a little foggy, a little cloudy on that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the easier version. I don't put as much panage on the Anarchs because ultimately... There, there's not much to it right there I isn't mean, a structure there right it's it's just like the flavor of being an anarch and in other words it's it's not unique like you can look up anarchy period like do a research paper and get an idea what anarchs are about and then just add immortality to it, it it's not i i don't think that the anarchs while well, those are both good books i don't think that it is necessary for you as a player to know all those terms because f- fuck it why know it you know that you're 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 an anarch right who it's, cares about your system i don't care i don't need to know your terms right it's hard to define put conformity in something that would tell you to fuck off for labeling right not to diminish those books they're very well written books both of them and both of them have a ton of information so yeah dig them up but they're not as essential as the cam guide and the sabat guide and ultimately in the more to the point you from the main book a lot of perspective is from that niche area we're talking neonates to uh ancilla and the neonates and ancilla dominate with anarchs usually so if you're damning the man, you're probably an anarch if you're not a Sabbat pack. Absolutely. And that's that's where it goes. And they, believe it or not, they talk a lot from the perspective of anarchs without telling you its perspective of anarchs throughout the material we've covered so far. Absolutely. So before we get into the book review, let's go deep into the Warrens, shall yeah. we? Yeah. We have... Let me get that sewer lid. Yeah, absolutely. We have only one question, um, but I thought it was a good one. I thought it was a good one. Thanks, guys. I know English. I thought it was a good one, so I figured I would throw it up there. That's from Joel Alston. He says, hey, Nate and Bob, really appreciate when you two bring what you two bring to the table by discussing all the vampire books. I've been playing since first, Ed, 
Now, suddenly with the shifts in friendship uh, that comes and goes over the years, I have found that I am the one being asked to run stories. This is a familiar tale. There's usually (laughs) one of us. Both of you are dropping tips here and there, but I was wondering if either of you have ever written a blog or have a podcast or YouTube video on systematic training on storytelling. Thanks in advance and good luck to the podcast, Joel. So I'm just going to touch on this briefly. I'm going to give you my opinion. Um, First and foremost, I would say before I did this podcast, it hadn't even occurred to me that there was a like a market for that. Uh, like this was just a, like a hobby that Bob and I share. And we were like, let's do a podcast on it because we like podcasting. And so we didn't develop this with that in mind. We just developed it like, let's talk about vampire books. And if people like it, they'll listen. So for me, no, I haven't done that. I've never even thought about it. And another reason why I've never thought about it was because like there's already just this game. If you're into Vampire the Masquerade, there's a wealth of information and books that that professionals wrote on how to help you storytell. And there's a ton of books out there, too. So like for me personally, there's an idiot's guide to Requiem. Right. To put a vampire Requiem just to put it in perspective. Like for me personally, uh, I, I probably wouldn't do that because I don't I don't think that I am an authority in that capacity. Like I just storytell what by what makes sense to me. But that's my opinion. Now, as far as like YouTube channels and blogs, like I've had blogs about all kinds of stuff. I keep them for a while and I get rid of them. Um, YouTube channel. We, we technically, we have one, although there's n- not anything worth watching on there yet, but there will be. To toe in, I think what Nate's trying to tell you is that, uh, to toe in on it, I have. I mean, I'm not, not done what you said, but uh, I've, I will weigh in and say what's in my mind. Um, yes, I am a professional when it comes to storytelling, but I got there from reading the material they already wrote. Like, there is no secret to my mindset here. I mean, I imagine if White Wolf chimes in at all to listening, and we know they do uh, on occasion, the fact is, is that um well you wrote the material that's all i'm doing and that's the same thing that any teacher professional or anybody else goes through when you sign up to a school uh, a thing in college and you got that person with the doctorate that person with the doctor just had to write on the material they already read and went all the way through and i kind of feel that's more or less what because you're not the only person to say this you know previous uh in the warrens we were asked the same thing and the answer guys is how boring would it be to sit there and listen to to me go over what it is to storytell when there's already a book written about storytelling specifically right. by white wolf that and does I, the same thing and make yeah. no mistake. That is the book I would use to walk you through the steps because those professionals already wrote it. And I think of course, like we do want to educate to some degree, but like mostly we're here to entertain and we're not, we don't, I don't think that our personalities like we're good at joking around at getting you interested but like, I wouldn't want to sit down and like create like an educational piece. I don't honestly want to write that. I can't speak for Bob in that, but like, I would love to do it. And that, and so I'm a teacher. That's what mm-hmm. I do. You know, I can do that. The factor here is I would shoot your imagination by doing it. I would literally blow your imagination out. My fundamental, and this is gonna be the weirdest thing you've ever heard me say. I really feel that people who wrote books poisoned the world with their thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens because people have a mindset. There's one of two people. You either find one like myself who's going to read a book and go, all right, there's, there's, there's between the lines here. There's a lot of information they gave. I get it. I buy it. I get the terminology, but I have a ton of questions 
to the person who came up with these quote unquote facts. Some of them are factual. Some of them are different ways of looking at it. And I need to need to match wits with those. Other people read a book like that and say, that's the doctrine. That's, that's the new Bible because that's what the book says. Therefore it's in a book. Therefore the book's correct. And I never agree with that thinking. So I'm aware though, that I can impact anyone in talking about what I've read or what I've wrote. And the moment, the moment I cross some entertainer to educator, I am now putting myself up on the cross because my way is not going to be your way is what it boils down to. And I would encourage you. I would, I would definitely preach to that to say, don't ever take my word for absolute. No. And absolutely. I would say too, like the methodology of storytelling for a storytelling game, it's not, so much different than any other game. It's it's building a world, but how I build that world is going to be a hundred times different than the way that you build that world. You may want to sit down and grab charts and books and and this, that, and the other, and make all these intricate details and get so mired in those details that when you sit down to storytell and your players inevitably throw you a curveball, you're going to have no idea where to go because you spent all this time like building this structured idea and. Other people, like, I may go, hey, I keep all this stuff in my head and I kind of just wing it. Other people may go, I don't have a clue how to do that. How do you do that? And I would have to say, I don't know how I do that. Like, it just, that's the thing that I do. So it's hard to say, like, for the methodology of storytelling this game, it's hard to say what's right and wrong. But I would rely on the material that's been provided at least to give you inspiration and to give you guidance. And as far as YouTube videos are concerned, keep your eye out. That's soon to come. But here I can give you Joe BQ Idiot's guide to how to storytell storytelling system. Number one, have a notebook and a pen. Because the very fact that you're asking means you need to take notes. Right. So that's number one. Number two, what the content to put in is first and foremost, what tale would you like to tell? Not not in detail, literally abstract. Like, I want an action story. Cool. Put right. action in big words across Sh- the top. Shit, you don't even need to do that. You could just go, I want to tell a diehard tale. I want to so tell the thing. Never, never do that. I will tell you this I right do it now. All the time. Never do it. Inspiration is not where we're at. We're, uh, at. we're at conception. Okay. So when you're at conception, you have to do what, like, when we're talking thematically, mm-hmm. the, the danger is what Nate does, and I'll, and I'll state this, there's a lot of people who get inspiration from action films. Nate will tell you Die Hard. He will tell you Terminator. It's never that. No, absolutely He's full not. of shit. It's never that. He is inspired by it. Right. But you don't have that internal monologue he's had. And what he's really going to do is going to blow you away because he naturally goes through a complicated process to come up with a completely different story that if you're Nate, you'll be able to go, bink, yeah, that was in Die Hard. That was inspired from it. But good luck figuring that out. What I'm telling you, John PQ, is why I said no, is that take your broad. You can say something like anger. You can put an emotion up there. I'm going to tell an anger story. All right, cool. Let's let's start with that. Right. And then you're going to put, we know we're using Vampire the Masquerade. So anger, Vampire the Masquerade. All right. What's step two? That's when you're going to start attaching, okay, well, Die Hard, mm-hmm. RoboCop, that sort of thing. And whatever's inspired you from those, start jotting down what looks good and what doesn't work. And be as vague as you can be, because at the end of the day, you're just building a storyboard for that. Like, not even a storyboard, you're brainstorming. And then I would take a pen and go through and circle three things, and only three out of all that that you feel stick out to you. Then I would sleep, (laughs) wake up the next day, and if those still look good to you, work on detailing those three things on a, on a no more finite story 
in a more organized fashion. Why do all that, Bob? Because that's storytelling. Right. That's anybody. You have to fight your creativity to randomly want to put in everything and narrow it down to a focus that you can explain and express yourself through to an audience that's going to find it entertaining. Right. And, uh, yeah, definitely that's, that's the key. I think that, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe Bob will start a blog and (laughs) (laughs) he'll give you guys step-by-step instructions. I'll never do it though. Uh, because I can't teach what I don't know how I learned. It's just an accumulation of, of creativity and material and every, for me, everything that I interact with in my world every day is adding to whatever story I'm trying to tell. Right. And that's, that's, I, I think any writer, any screenwriter, anybody that, that makes movies or, or games or anything, they're taking the things that are important to them and they're taking the themes that they're trying to give away at that moment. And now gaming is a whole different bag of, uh, you know, can of worms from like writing an actual novel, but just telling that story that's important to you. I don't know how to tell you to do that because I haven't lived your life. I don't know. But again, and I'll, I'll continue to focus on this from just storytelling vampire or white wolf, look at the material that they've given and use that as inspiration and guidance. And from there, build it. And once you've done it, it will get progressively easier, but also more challenging as you go. And now I'm shifting gears because I I know there are people out here going, son of a bitch, they're going to do all the work. And I would just have to press play. No. And I would hear it. And then I would just do what they did. And then I would, yeah, good luck. Um, Why I say good luck is you're not. You're not. You will never, ever, 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 never go and get it, never get it. No, you'll never be able to do it because Nate and I are unique. You're unique. You have to find your inner voice. You have to find your voice for writing and find your voice for storytelling. Those are very important. That that you can't teach. What I can tell you is you can research it. There are super smart people out there that help you develop that voice, that help you hear your voice, and then it's up to you to do the work to define it if you're serious. And if you're thinking, man, it's just a game. I just want to run a game. Yeah, White Wolf did that. Yeah, That's what their books are for. So you can do their shtick right. and just do as they instruct and you will have a game. Right. If you've never story told before, if you've never ran this game before, there are a ton of modules. And like we bash them, yes, but that's because we don't. We don't feel that we need them. Like for we're, me, we're narcissist modules, to be it's, honest. It's I, not I that mean, they're not necessary. Some people need them. But we're narcissists to it because we've never ne- we never needed them. No, I, I, for me, like the whole point was, I wanted to be creative and I wanted to bring people into my own story. So, like the rules came as a secondary, right? You know, the the process came as a secondary. Like you have characters, and I have a vague concept of a world in my mind, and it's just going to unfold as we go. Oh man, this, you guys are going to love this. I remember the exact day I invited Nate on staff for the first time. Remember mm-hmm. us sitting down. We're sitting down at Denny's. It's late night after one game, and I needed help because we were over sixty plus people. Right, and it was just me. And when they came over, I was like, "Man, I'm gonna have. I think I might have to fold because I just don't." And he goes, "Dude, I'll help out. What do I need to do?" And I sat back and I was like, "Man, I got this story and all these ideas." And Nate was like, "Well, what's the theme?" And I was like, "The fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> He's like, "What's the theme?" Well, fuck your theme, man. It's vampires. That's the theme. People getting at people, eating people. That's what's going on. Right. And he was like, well, no, which, which your story? Well, well, you mean the main plot? He's like, yeah, yeah, I got a main plot. Here here it is. And he was like, that's fucking huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know, but here's all the player plot. Right. And then he was like, okay, now, now I know what's going on. But that's, that's exactly what he means by we had the story already made up running and people playing in it before these books came out that labeled them and dissected them and put them in their appropriate category. 
So that I hope that gives insight. Yeah. For me, that like the story that you were just telling, for me it was important to note like, okay, what are the boundaries of your world? Right. Like what is what is gonna fall within the confines that you've set? You know, and that that to me uh, that's important in any type of storytelling. For that's, sure. That's important just in like visual storytelling, like, okay, w- what fits within the confines that you've set? You know, you have a playground, you have a sandbox. Where the hell does the sandbox end? And when you, you know, when you ask things like, okay, what's the theme? What's the overarching plot? What's some of the player plot? Now I have, you know, little linchpins that I can attach rubber bands to. And I can play with those rubber bands as long as I stay within the the frame that you've set, the design is all up to me, and that I think that's important for any storyteller and any player too. When you create a character, you're creating a framework, and you want to make sure that what you do stays within that framework because you're going to go from building a house to oops, I built a garage and it just all fell in on itself. Have you ever sculpted anything by chance? Absolutely. So yeah, so you know the the analogy you're going to get perfectly. You get you start with a block of clay. Right. Same rectangular block depending on how big you want it to be and you sculpt that some bitch down. Right. That's exactly what we're talking about. You know, you got to define to have an image, right, to have something that is as useful. All right. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully you have a, a a vague conception of what we're talking about. And who knows what the future will bring? You know, Bob loves to write. I love to talk. Maybe a channel dedicated to that will happen. I wouldn't count on it for me, though. I don't think it's something I want to do. Um, But definitely appreciate the question. Now, moving right along, we want to give some shout outs to our monthly, our new patrons, our new backers on Patreon. Um, We've had a few so far this month. Granted, we're only halfway through. But um, we want to thank Chris Rakoski, Rakoski, I'm sorry, I brutalized your name. Uh, Tyler Bryan, Brenna, Steve Collin, Aaron, uh, Eric Lucas, again, sorry, you're not Aaron, you're Eric, Witch Slapped, which I wish that was your real name because that's a cool name, <laughs> and Michael Cook, uh, all new backers on Patreon so far this month. Thank you guys for your support. Thank you very much. And now we're going to move on to the Sabbat, to the guide to the Sabbat. And, uh, you know, only wasted 20 minutes on that question so good appreciate you it's a, it's a complex question <laughs> absolutely it is it's uh and he was looking for a yes or no right no absolutely <laughs> um so uh guide to the sabbat we had said before um definitely it is a it's required fare for your sabbat player sabbat storyteller and it is a i think a welcome update from the original sabbat guide i feel like the sabbat guide the Sabbat back in second edition were still like in their formative, like as the game continued, new ideas began to form and it became more cohesive. And now we have like this very figured out, like very cohesive, well-written book that gives us both the history and the specifics and all the details of the sect. I don't know why I'm still a fan of the old two. I mean, the old, the old one's still good. I feel that they're grimy. They're grimy. This is this is where the work got they done. Are. Right. This one is very much like, all right, you sons of bitches. Well, you figured everything out and put the polish on it. Right. And absolutely. Done and some things aren't there. And I'm always like, yeah, man, but I'm gritty. <coughs> Pardon so. me. Yeah. So, um, you know, they start out with a story. 
And, uh, of course, this one is a very good story. I like this. I've read it a number of occasions. Smart Money's on Vegas. Like 11 times I've read that. Right, absolutely. And uh, we'll leave you to read that because it's a a great uh, little couple of pages there. And uh, we start out, and we have a view from within the sect. So it gives you a general sort of stereotype of how the sect within it sees external forces, sees the Antediluvians and what that means to them, the Camarilla, the Encanu, etc., all the way down the line. The cool thing, though, is that it gives you both the young perspective and the old perspective. And that's, I think, very important because the young and old have a different relationship in the Sabbat than they do in the Camarilla, but they really kind of have a similar one, unbeknownst to themselves. And you have an older cast. You have these old breakaways that that when the Camarilla formed they were like go fuck yourself (laughs) and then you you know this sect thrives on new blood and it thrives on new blood because oftentimes that new blood's the one out fighting the wars and I think that that's important to give you both perspectives because you can you can have many political agendas many political ideals within the confines of this sect and then we get into the history and I think that the history is very important because, uh, like you said earlier, Bob, we've talked the Camarillo's history to death. To death. I mean. And the Sabbat, uh, not quite as much. Why not quite as much? Uh, the point is, is that it was all leading up to this podcast because we wanted to save Couch a lot that we were going to have to go through here for you to get the impact. Right now, you're managing Ivory Tower as the surviving sect formed from the Burning Inquisition and the Anarch Revolt. But you don't realize that the Anarch Revolt actually split. There was a little event called the Convention of Thorns. And everyone's like, yeah, that's where the Anarchs came from, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Except there was another group right, that said, fuck your terms and fuck you. And I do mean that in the literal sense of you. That's appropriate usage of the word fuck you, by the way, because what actually happened was Micah becoming Sasha. I've said this in a podcast before, but here's where I should have waited for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, that was too good of a story not to say. Uh, ripped out his junk and threw it at the founders was basically as it was recorded as it was said and that was the response why that violent of response why did that person and a bunch of people leave out of the anarchs at that point well we have to analyze two things first thing why the revolt the revolt occurred because you had tyler watt uh, a mortal mm-hmm. who was rebelling uh, against the tyranny of the aristocrats at that time and you had uh, her love his lover uh, who isn't embraced at this point, but is definitely with him in terms of his revolt. Mm-hmm. And they don't catch him or whatever, or that terminology is lost to history one way or the other, vampirically. What they do know is they do catch Tyler or Patricia, Patricia of Bolingbrook, which is Tyler Watts' lover. Mm-hmm. And when they catch her, they're supposed to kill her. That's what was supposed to happen. Now, what you also don't know is the fact that they've already caught her kids and tortured them and whatever and murdered them and how that works out to inspire her to go at them like she did. And she becomes Tyler. Right. Right. Saved by it. I'm not going to, I'm literally blurring with a paint strokes here. Right. Because we've talked about her and it's in a book and I don't want to waste so much time. It's, on it's it. actually in like five books. Right. <laughs> it's, so it's, it's everywhere. Tyler comes from there. Right. But this is, it's important because this is where the revolt came from. This was the spark that lit the flames that allowed the rest of it to go through. Yes. You had mortals who were, what the hell vampires you know the inquisition was coming out as the burning times but this is the part where the vampire elders went shit right out of all this happening now we have to protect our own necks because 
with her out there running around saying that damn the man and hardest dad he can eat whatever and i mean don't forget this is where the people quote unquote lost hardest at right was when this revolt started that's where the real shebang went hardest was a powerful venture who was dominating europe with uh whatever he wanted to do and we'll get into that in the dark ages that's why i state that but let's just say conquest was definitely on his mind and he was only opposed and lightly opposed by mithras and when i say by lightly mithras was not a conqueror minded guy he was a guy who was about war, and as far as I'm concerned, from everything we've read about him, he's a dude that saw Hardestad as probably worshipping him. Right. You go forth and prove yourself to me, dickhead. It's not the other way around. Yeah. And then Patricia did, she handled him. Carte Blanche. The whole of the Sabat knows that's what occurred, that uh, that's what happened, excuse me, the upper echelon, the OGs, right, your right. Vicos and whatnot. And they see that. Now they're in front of this council again, and they're looking at, and who else? Hardestad. Right amongst everyone else except more than one of them is more than suspicious that that is who it is absolutely and i think it's important to note too that it was at this point that essentially this uh this group that had formulated this camarilla they were like you're essentially the way that it was positioned was like we will forgive you of your crimes you can now come back to heal we'll protect you in the umbrella of this organization so that everyone gets a equal quote-unquote share just sign on the line, kneel, and you'll be accepted. With what importance? It's like, there's that. So, like, we'll, we'll say that's what Corazon pitched in there. Right. But then add to the fact of what you were seeing. Never before has an elder con- conglomerate uh-huh. got together to tell everyone we're a power and we will crush you. Right. And anyone that gets in our way. Now, to those who served these elders before that were bucking them, right. trying to break free, they're, they're always Ancilla trying to prove themselves to their sire to get out from under their accounting to go be on their own always but you got to remember before the what is it before the 13th century we're talking like dark we're talking dark dark ages right um this is it's old head you'd have whole dynasties that existed on an estate where your elder woke up on a a prince unto his own land and you were the children who you could have been 800 years old and you're still considered ancilla by your sire right who's still not giving you, he calls you the seneschal of his estate. Right. Your job is to fetch and step to my needs and whims. For eternity. Right. And so this is where the urge for revolt came from. And and we've talked about, too, from one of our previous podcasts, those pillars of power. Like, you know, it's it's not necessarily something that they sat down and went, let's follow these pillars of power. But you understand just because there isn't a conspiracy doesn't mean that there aren't aligned perspectives right like you could be doing so well that now i view you as a threat and you have to die and it does you like how 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 good is it to live under that and it does you well to know history because so to the vampires so to the mortals right or rather the mortals so to the vampire society was very much that way Mm -hmm. there was the rich and there were the peasants and that was the dividing line for centuries time immemorial that's what it's been right um, and, and that's, that's what you're working out from under. Well, anybody gets, if I'm immortal, I'm going to be sick of being a slave at a point. I mean, it took some cats, what hundreds of years. It would took me exactly a month, exactly a month of being a slave before so I got to go or you got to go. And that would have been that I digress, but now focus on that viewpoint, right? Tyler, they said, now's the time everybody gets together and they become these roving bands. Now I need you to get this mindset down. Imagine London when those kids got together and they suddenly there was a lot of them just creating chaos, just mm-hmm. pandemonium, and how it really felt that you were looking at a social, a government system that couldn't stop them. They really couldn't. It seemed like they couldn't get under control. That mob had to get tired. They didn't go out and subjugate them. 
they they tried to at points, but it seemed to be futile. Right. And eventually they just got tired and went home. People got to eat. <laughs> Folks had to sleep. That's what it seemed. Right. And and that was that. There's a lot more to it than that. But imagine if those people were immortal, and you have an idea of what the Sabbat was like. The Sabbat or what the Anarchs was like. Excuse me. At that point, the Anarchs were going through just willy nilly. But what the Sabbat was doing was that there was a cat, and we all know him, right? We know we got Lugash. Mm-hmm. And uh, but before him, we had who? We had uh, what's his face? I don't know what is his face. I can't remember his face. <laughs> Why is his name? Are you talking me? about Lombok? No, it's not Lombok. I'm not sure. I have no frame of reference. Gratiano is who it is. Yeah, sorry, folks. Sometimes we don't always see. Uh, it's a lot of info to so, keep. Sometimes our brains don't always merge. <laughs> so before that all jumped in, you had Gratiano in the backdrop of this chaos of people opposing their elders who went, it's time. Right. We're going we're gonna to get this guy. And they, they move in to do what they got to do. What he didn't know is that uh, his urgings, so to speak, come because, well, he's a son of a bitch, yes, but the Lysambra mentality, the way it was set up, and we know from the Lysambra clan book, when he chose to move seems to be well-timed. Now, this is the 13th and 14th century we're talking, right? Right. So the Black Plague's everywhere. That the world was in chaos. People were dying in percentage of population of immense. And with that, you had this dude go, now's the time. Right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what happens in this powder keg. He goes in, does Lysambra in. They all get together. We know that conspiracy from the clan book. He comes back, job done. We lead the deal. But then the Zemis came back to the same table like we did ours too. Right. Absolutely. Well, what time did you do yours? And Lugaj was like, fuck you. <laughs> right? It, it, was, it, it literally wasn't a thing. Right. What, what time did I do mine? Gratiano. And for whatever reason, Gratiano was like, yeah, we're, we're even. We're equals. Yeah. And I also think that uh, it bears mentioning, and, and we actually mentioned it in the first Shamase uh, clan book around this time too, the, the, uh, the childer of these ancients had figured out a way through ancient magics, through many rituals, to break those bonds that the elders held them with. That was really, I think, an important portion of this is that not only are you like held under the thumb, right? Like it sucks to be in a position where someone has massive authority over you and you have no way to move. It sucks even more when you're like, yes, please, can I have another? Because I, I, I love you. I don't know why the hell I love you. I hate that I love you, but I can't break that. And that spell was able to be broken. Now, here's, here's the, with the clenches. There's a lot of conspiracy about who gave Lugash the idea that he could do that. Right. Where did the history of the Amaranth come from? Was it demons? And why, why, why I'm sitting here going, could it have been demon? Could it not been a demon? Well, they mentioned Kapala mm-hmm. was part of it. He studied the Kapala and whatever, and we know Kapala is a demon in print. What you may or may not know is that Kapala also means something in real life, too. What I mean by real life, if you reach in the mortal world, it meant something. What does it mean? So that's going to be the Easter egg, because that's other... <laughs> so trust me, that's another thing to go down. Please uh, listen for further podcasts but the for point is, that information. But the, but the point is, is that uh, the, the lore that they get from it was how to thus break that bond. Right. And it was given to him from a source that shouldn't have done it. Right. In other words, there's a lot of fingers in the pot of the jihad, and this is one of them that got kicked in. So Lugaj gets it conveniently, gets the idea, let's go at our antediluvian. Why don't you ask Lombok what happened? Or you could just turn to page 14 of the Sabat clan book and read this little excerpt down here, <laughs> which it's kind of weird that they put it in there, but they do. Go ahead. Well, here, I'll read for you. This will be the one and only time. What transpired did not. Lugaj, fool that he was, led us into damnation, and we followed, ever the loyal rebels, dragged into a hell beyond our comprehension. 
Lugaj died that night, impaled on a wooden pike, and hidden behind us as we struggled against the eldest servants. He looked at me, wearing Lugaj's face. Ever since, I have been a good lad. Now, who's that from? I'm sorry. That is from Lombok Ruthven, present at the fall of the Shamasant Deluvian. I don't know what all that means, but I think I know what that means. I do know what it means. I'm a running free because we've already went over all the books. Two <laughs> right, for you. right. First and foremost, the clan, un- the Zemisi clan, unrefutedly, non-contestant, will tell you that Zemis is the one who contacted Kapali, is the one that bound it, period. Not made a deal with it. You do my bidding. That's what Zemis did. Right. It is Kapala who is cited as giving the secret of Amaranth to Lugaj in the first place. It was only going to lead to one place. Strangely, back to the Antediluvian. The very same one <laughs> that he just cited, Lugaj fucking got dealt with. Right. And then, strangely, Lugaj came back, though, mm-hmm. to the sect. Well, who the hell would decide to look like Lugaj coming to back his Lugaj that would tell Lombok to be a good lad? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, well, it seems to me it would be the antediluvian and, of the Zemisi uh, clan. And uh, spoiler alert, although I don't necessarily think we need to give you one because this is like 20 years old, but um, we'll find at the in a lot of the books coming up, you don't kill an antediluvian unless the antediluvian wants to be killed. Also, uh, unless you have like the... Like neutron bombs and like four suns worth of energy. I.e. White Wolf literally just kill it all. Right. <laughs> basically, basically what what you're going to learn here is that you like five elders gathered together are not going to take out one of these antediluvians. They're just not. It's just not so, like, OK, I may be wounded, but guess what? You literally came from my blood. Right. How are you going to how are you going to defeat me? Look at the Tremir. Look at the Giovanni. Look, it's Sorry. I hate to ruin it for you guys, but, um, well, we'll go with the idea that the Lysambra and the Shamasay killed their antediluvians because it makes for a good story and also propaganda. So let's just keep going with that. And you just led to exactly why those two things were done, the propaganda. Because when they come back, it's Gratiano who Lugash goes and makes, well, we'll say the devil's deal. He tells Gratiano, uh, we're perfectly content with you leading the sect. Mm-hmm. We're the power behind him. We give the rights and rituals of binding and oaths, and we bring the mystical power you'll need. To, uni- to unite us, but socially someone have to lead us. And who's a better leader than the Lasombra? Right. And Gratiano, you're fucking right. I ate my antediluvian Lugash. <laughs> of course you did. Right. And it's, we're equals then. Oh, yeah, of course. Sect was founded. However, we got to look at a fact, and uh, not necessarily a fun one. Um, the beginning, the Sabbat literally fought for who was going to be in charge of what. Because mm-hmm. that's what those, because they're packs at this point, right? Right. It's two elder packs get together, we're going to have a sect. And we're a sect based on freedom, right? And everyone, we'd look at all the ductus down the road. There was nobody in charge. It was right. just two famous people at this point. And we're like, hey, man, we're all united in one thing. We're not fucking going back. Right. We're not going back to the state. We're making our own way in the world. That's what it is. And Lonnie Ash like, yeah, man, that's cool. But, man, y'all went and killed Samantha Deluvians. I mean, mm-hmm. those are blood gods, man. You can't, no one's going to, man, my sire's going to flip. What? Nothing, man. We'll go to the convention with you. And so they go to the convention. Not those two, but like a lot of them go to hear out this thing. Now, for those of you who don't know, the convention, why the Sabbat even went to, they went to Sabbat, why they went there to even hear them out was because they honestly thought they were going to hear terms of, of equality. Right. Right. It wasn't a dictation of war. It was supposed to be, let's cool it out. Because right. you got to remember at this point, that's great. You vampires want to have a war. That's great. You want to get out in the middle. 
But uh, jackets near the fi- end of the 15th century, or end of the 14th, beginning of the 15th century, we found gunpowder. Hey, we're the mortals. Wait, right. nights on horseback anymore. Oh, we about to light you to fuck up. Right. And so they were like, wait a second. All right, we all got together to agree. Not a fear. This is to get together and see what their future would become. Right. Everybody needs a place of security before they go and claim tyranny. While we're fighting, while we're having our war and uh, elders are being drank up and these roving gangs of anarchs are burning stuff to the ground, as a backdrop, also, there's like gangs of human beings, mortals, pitchforks, torches, and like this is taking its toll. Either we're going to have, we're going to sit down and we're going to build a treaty, right? Right. Or they're going to kill us all. Well, there's two different perspectives on that. One is you have the founders, the individuals that came up with the concept of the Camarilla. Well, we have to obey the masquerade, the ancient tradition of the masquerade. We have to hide from them so that we don't die. And then you have these others who are like, I'm a fucking vampire. Fuck you. I'm not hiding from my food. Well, any inception, right? That's not... At that meeting, it wasn't the case. Got to remember, the, the masquerade, you're right for the majority. Right, that was where the right. propaganda went, because that's how we got you to rebel. Right. But at that at that convention was not those people. No, of course the not. The people there understood that to the Sabbat, you don't shit where you eat. We will wage war on any fucking anyone that mm-hmm. opposes the sect as vampires wage war. However, when we go home, we'll clean up our slaughter. It's not that we won't do it. We will right. be sure to clean it up. That's the difference. The Camarilla springs, sprinkles powdered sugar and gold trim and truffles on their pile of shit. Right. And says, we're preserving the masquerade. Don't let them know. The Sabat says, yeah, we'll do it too, except we'll use a janitor. Now, um, here's, my, uh, here's my question. And um, uh, this is kind of a slight deviation from what we're talking about. But um, I, I may be misremembering this, but isn't there a Dark Ages book that goes through this whole convention? The convention itself? Right. No, there's the uh, the Anarch book. We'll mention the Convention of Thorns in a little more detail, from what I recall. Uh, but the Dark Ages doesn't go over the Dark Ages. I thought there was like a book that... Uh... Dark Ages goes over the War of Princes. Yeah. And in it, you see the formation, the, the seeds okay. of uh, what, what comes of the founders and where they come from. And the convention in and of itself... The, why you have that idea is because there's several books that mention Convention of Thorns right. and give you what occurred. Right. And for the most part, they hold to the information. I, yeah, I thought there was like a playthrough somewhere. Again, I could be just misremembering that. I could be... Uh, I don't recall it. That doesn't yeah. mean it doesn't exist, but I, to me, well, I've, I don't, I've never read that. I'll, I'll lay it out for you if anybody knows of this book that I may have made up in my head. Just <laughs> leave us a comment anywhere, yeah. and I'll read it. But it anyways... Does, it doesn't even come to my head on it. Anyways, we, let's let's uh, we spent a lot of time on this convention. Basically, opposing but, factions throw down the genitals. Fuck you. Now, why do we spend time in this convention? I I'm trying. I'm being brief, believe it or not, through it as much right. as I can. But when it, what it comes down to is the fact that if you do not grasp why the convention occurred, who were the players in the convention, and the politics behind it, and the fact that you had two bodies of canines that agreed the masquerade had to be upheld, but did not agree as to who was going to be under whom. That's what this was about. At the convention, the camera said, just like Nanary said way on, uh, way early on, you obey and we bring you back and we'll give you some privilege. Right. It's a return to the status quo. And the, the Sabbat were that group of anarchs who said, we're still at war. Bye. And left. The anarchs that remained went, yeah, we're going to have to talk this out further. Mm-hmm. 
And that's in the Anarch Guide, why they mention it again, because those Anarchs were like, look, buddy, you have to make it digestible here. We're not those psychos, but right. we're not going back to the Yoke. And then the founders were like, okay, will you obey the masquerade? Yes. All right. And that's for the Anarch Guide and uh, on how that went down. But to the Sabbat, they left coming back going, we're still at fucking war. It's still on. And right. they're like, okay, cool. Well, let's go find more elders. Let's go get this done. But they could not agree on who was going to call what shots. They weren't fully formed yet. They just knew that they had two clans and whatever anti-tribute came over, as they were called even back then, who opposed their normal clan. All right, we're still a roving band. Well, as they started coming together, as Gratian and Lugas start forming their influence and coming in, clans still had a play in it. Clan Lasombra wanted to rule the whole pie. Why right. settle for a little bit? And Clan Zemis was not having that. I.e., not the way Lasombra thought. Lasombra right. thought you'd be lockstep soldiers to be used as we need you. And so we're going to come to your territories and your lands and you're going to it and you're going to tell us what's what. And you had people like, oh, I don't know, uh, the the Voivode of the lands beyond the estate and who, whatever nightmare man you want to mention, right. Zemis-wise, who was like, these are my lands. This is my home. <laughs> if you can take this from me, it is yours. Right, absolutely. And and good luck, because that creepy voice I tried to imitate is what should be in your head, because you weren't doing it. The Venture already tried that. Yeah. Didn't work. And, and and a lot of this stuff, too, like we've talked about in the various clan books. We've, right. You know, in the early Lasombra or the early Shamase, like they all have their perspective, right? Very much we've spoken about this stuff, too. But uh, definitely, you're trying to form an organization at this right. point. Right, and the warriors in the trenches were basically expressing what was told to them. So they started at each other. Lasombra were making promises, go kill these Zemis. The Zemis were like, cool, go kill these Lasombra. On and on and on. Until eventually, they, they cool out because enough elders get together like, what the fuck is going on? This is, this is what's here. And then the Black Hand were there. Mm-hmm. Now, what to know about the Black Hand? They were always there. When they decided to become the Sabbat, they were an elite group of killers that they had. The most successful killers, those packs who got it done. Those packs who were died in the wool soldiers. Those packs who knew, this is the Elder, this is the Stronghold, this is who's in it, and this is the person you kill that causes all to fall apart. That went, cool, give us a year. Right. Like, that, that, cool, that cool hand Luke about it. And then step back and it would get done, well, you would earn your prestige. But you better give those people an organization right quick because those are soldiers begging to be led. Right. And, and they had that leadership enough. However, they worked autonomously at that point, meaning that if you needed help and you told them they would help out, but they had their own internal structure building. Now, you had that whole true handbook and whatever, but I don't think it even bears weight in terms of how the Sabbat was formed because for the most part, they more or less say the Black Hand was always there doing their thing mm-hmm. uh, because how do you kill a castle of an antediluvian? <laughs> right someone well, has to know how to do that that or they just let you in right or they just <laughs> open the door and there are people who knew then and yes clan asimite was huge and how to do that well you talk to the killer of killers to figure out how to go kill someone right well then you add the lovely livelihood of brew anti tribute who said we'll take care of all the shock troops where's the door and that's you know spirits minds combined and you start having a sect sect officially forms when the black hand sits them down at the table and they cool out. And that's the, and yeah. by that, by the say, but it sits them at the table. There's enough Sabbat with the black hand claiming peace, right? That they're able to make a sit down. They come up with a treaty. Now there are a couple of things in this book, as we're talking about the history, there are a couple of things in this book that, um, I don't know that they're available anywhere else that you'll see for the first time. 
we talk about the convention of thorns, there is like this, the basically this statement, like the convention of thorns, um, a concordat uh, bound by the covenant of Cain. That's here. You can read that for the first time. Um, terms of the purchase pact. For those of you that don't know what the purchase pact is, well, the Sabbat sees opportunity in the new world, as you would. Here we are, we're a very small, kind of tumultuous sect who's been dealing with all of these elders, all of this uh, this warring, and essentially fleeing. Because meanwhile, the Camarilla is not like, oh yeah, you just go ahead and do what you want to do. Right, and the purchase pact is what we're talking about. Right. That first Sabbat war, the purchase pact was when they, were, they sat down and said it's over. Right. Right? Now, why the new world? If you've been keeping up, you can't be in Europe. That's where the Camarilla are. <laughs> right. So they had to leave where the Camarilla were strongest to survive. They went to the New World. New World already had Camarilla in it. Right. And so when they arrived there, they're warring again. And they just had the purchase pact, right? And so they got to keep it cool. This is how stubborn the Lasombrans and Mies are. You've been warned once. Knock it off. They don't stop there. They just get more secretive about it. And so in the New World, they figure, okay, cool. We, we had that cool out. No problem. Do your thing. They're still jabbing at one another, and the Sabbat eventually tend to go at it again rather violently. And then the regent, we believe at the time was Gorkist, isn't it? Uh, it is, absolutely. It's Regent Gorkist who sits down. He's like, look, here's the idea where we need a code of law. And they sit down, and, they, and they, the Code of Milan's formed. That's another document that's in here. Mm-hmm. And the Code of Milan outlines, even with the denims that they had to make to it later on after the fact. And that's important. Because the original one states this is how it's going to be, and then the addendum's made... Uh, were from uh, a series of Prisgai. I forget. Right. I forget why they did. I'm almost positive it was because people were finding ways around right. the original code, and they were like, "Oh, we weren't specific. Now we're specific." Well, there were some civil wars. Um, so to put it into a timeline perspective, that purchase pact is signed in 1803, right? And the purchase pact essentially says, "Look, assholes, any grievances you have with other Sabbat, that shit stops now. It's over." I, I, I'm the boss, I'm the one in charge, and these are all the other motherfuckers that are in charge, and pardon my, you know, completely... Uh, You're just, talking just, Sabbat. Right, right, I'm talking Sabbat, right. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm talking plain, simple language. Then, in 1933, the Code of Milan is finally ironed out. Here right. it is, ironclad. Here's the problem. With a bunch <laughs> of motherfuckers that are warlike, with a bunch of different ideals, and two clans that are essentially both trying to lead the sect, one overtly, one sort of covertly, you're going to have problems. Like anybody that's played Sabbat knows, unless you have that brotherhood camaraderie with your pack, any old Sabbat member could walk up and piss you off. Right. Well, it happens, and you need to make codes. And here's some cool things about just Easter eggs. One, you'll there are, there are some members in the packs in Montreal who actually signed this this document or help formulate the Code of Milan. They were the thinkers that were there. So you have some OG Sabbat in Montreal in this book. Why is that cool, Bob? Montreal is the quintessential I swear by book that White Wolf ever did for a city that is lock stock, amazing top to bottom, especially for the, in particular for the Sabbat. It's amazing. And to see that they are there kind of lends credence to this whole document because when you read that person's background in there, your eyes are going to be open up. I'm literally not naming him because I've named him twice mm-hmm. in the podcast we've done. And this one, if they get you open up the Montreal books, start reading through them. Good. I've done my part. 
love right. love my packs that I love. A cool thing too about the code of Milan is in the um in the top where it talks about the code, it basically says, "Look, bitch, if you're a faction in this sect, you agree to this. You pledge to this. If you don't, take a walk, leave the sabbat. You're done. We we don't we don't want nothing to do with you. You ain't going to go easy for sure, but this is what it is." And the addenda were added um same night, um, December 21st, 1933. So most likely it was like stuff that came up in the conversation After about the it. We'll and they were like, the yeah, we lot. right. We need, we need this too. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely park a lot. That we'll talk about it offline. Now, what's the Sabbat meeting look like for, for this? How did they decide that that was going to be it with all the arguments that came up? Very simple. If you don't know the Sabbat, know that there's a thing called monomacy that was invented. It's ritual combat. It's <laughs> essentially, um, God will see you through. Right. It's how it works. If you are right, then you will be virtuous in combat. Therefore, you are correct. Why do I use that term? God will see you through because duels were honored in such a fashion back in the day amongst the aristocrats, mm-hmm. literally pointing out that canines mimic what mortals did. Why is that, Bob? Because every vampire was a mortal before. And it's also easier to hide among mortals if you're sort of mimicking their uh, establishments. Uh, look at the Sabbat. We talked about this in the first book. The Sabbat uh, have modeled themselves after the Catholic Church in a mockery of it. So it's weird because if that's a perspective, I will not take away. Right. You will never find anywhere. This is why they did it. Doesn't say it. In fact, every canine speculates where it might have come from. I like to think it's because of the La Sombra. But now, who knows? Right. Strong influence. Now, right. I, I back your opinion. But why did the Sombra do it? Well, they do believe in God. Also, they do believe in. If you look at the structure of the Catholic Church, it's easy to use that as a structure to keep. The, the children in line to keep the flock in line when i say they do believe in god or a god or god itself the lasombra will tell you uh their god is them <laughs> that's what they <laughs> right. believe in whatever tool they need to to convince you to move along that works as a whole and they already said it the catholic church had already gone through this is us i literally tying together some strings but this is what makes sense to us right the catholic church was able to spread successfully so far and wide because of its terms of peace that it was saying to people when we as mankind believed war solved everything. Well, suddenly we heard, heaven is unto you to those who are peaceful, their fellow man, in terms of compassion, all that stuff. And naturally, the majority populace was a working class serf slave population. We would rather be nice to one each other and, and develop a community than war on one another. But the aristocrats were the ones who would be warring because those are the guys who do nothing but sit back and become knights and learn how to fight and be violent. And that was them get how that works so if the majority is peaceable and they're the ones finding religion it's their religion that's going to stick and if you want to stay in charge of the majority you better have their religion right it's no no secret so as far and widespread as their trade went went their message now history aside it is no secret that the sabbat studied and had to go well that worked for them and then watch it take off and it makes sense right because sabbat is about spirituality because the first and largest threat to the sabbat is lack of humanity. It's losing it too quickly. Right. It's losing soldiers to the laissez-faire events of carnage, of getting used to seeing the most horrendous things possible because you're, you're a beast. That's what you are. You're a monster as a vampire. And where the Camarilla slowed that process, tried to freeze it in time, most times, at least publicly. Well, they also, they also have, like we've mentioned before, they espouse that, that sort of unspoken following of humanity. Yes. You you need to be humane because if you're not, you're easy to spot. <laughs> you're you're an easy mark for a hunter, for mortals, what what have you. 
but their goal is to hide among the human populace. Sabat doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, because how how does Sabat how does a place like Montreal stay where it is? Answer simple: the Archbishop makes sure they have ties in the police and ties in the media and ties into the corner. Right? Why? Because if you're a hunter group and get suspicious of a Sabat group, the Sabat just kill you. They make a phone call. We cover it up. No must, no fuss, no one's in trouble. Right, but Bob, don't the Sabbat say fuck influence and fuck mortals and, you know, like, obviously they do. Of course they do. To you packs. <laughs> right. To you packs right. and those nomads out there, absolutely get out of my way because I'm Archbishop Bob. I don't want you having what I have. Right. Uh, you know, of course there is, uh, there's always got to be somebody looking out. Um, that's not so much covered in this, but I mean, it's obvious. It's a, it's nuances. We will right. get to it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, that's just this in this area. It's just not covered. Um, so, so we're in the new world. We spread out, they go over the world and it gives you area by area. The Sabbat have their influence in and whatnot. That's all important. We talked about what we're glossing over is cause it's necessary. Cause we, it's a podcast. Let's get to an end. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, clans of the Sabbat, we know of this. I think that the only thing that's different here as far as clan additions, obviously the Harbingers of the Skulls, that is a revised edition addition to this book. So let's take a moment then mm-hmm. about those. There's two of them, right? There's the Blood Brothers. Mm-hmm. And and they're new because they're created. Right. Well, they're they're not new, but they're new in the sense that they're actually like a focus, like a clan now. Right. Because they talk about them in First Ed, they talk about them in the first Sabbat book, but they don't really talk about them much. Now they become more of a focal point, especially in these final nights. Well, for the same reasons. Right. Right? Same reasons why gargoyles are allowed in the sect and all the other fun stuff. But um, since we did talk about Blood Brothers, you're right. Harbingers of Skulls is what we'll waste some time on. So the Giovanni espoused we killed all the Cappadocians. And... Because mm-hmm. they're the harbingers of skulls, harbingers of skulls dipped. They escaped into the lands, into the shadowlands themselves. Right. Two different stories on it. When we get to V twenty, we'll tell you how the story varies. Right now, they just tell you there's a mysterious exodus they took to escape the wrath of the hunting Giovanni, and they have been li- living in the shadowlands since to come back later on, and they come back with one thing in their mind: revenge. That's what they want. And they went to the one sect that easily would let them in in open arms. Actually, when I say easily, it's mostly out of fear. Right. Because you had these guys stepping to you that were clearly elders, right? It wasn't the 13th gen Cappadocians that jumped across. It was those folks who knew, right? right. You're also coming off of a very horrific event that the Cappadocians suffered uh, just before the Giovanni plan went into implementation that completely minimized their, their numbers. We'll get into in Clan Cappadocian. Mm-hmm. But the important thing here is the Harbingers of Skulls come back and say, Sabat, we'll support you. We'll support you with our dead. You give us the Giovanni. Right. By give us, stay out of our way. We just don't want to get crushed by the Camarillo we know have influences and the abilities to come at us. Right. And so if you're the Regent and the Cardinals and the Prisky, you were like, yep. Sure, absolutely. Uh, another thing that we almost forgot that is new to Revised is the Salute Rianti Tribute. Fair. Um, what are the Salubri anti-tribu? Well, we know what the Salubri were, right? And we know that the Tremere said they what? Killed them all. Right. They're dead. They don't exist. And that's strange because I got like all these super angry three-eyed guys who say they're going to kill every single Tremere that's out there. Right. Without fail. They're all dead. We're killing them all. Oh, absolutely. And and that's the other thing too that develops in this book that uh, take it or leave it if you're running revised on towards Gehenna. Absolutely. It's a important thing to add. But uh, the Tremere Antitribu are kaput. They are no more. 
The right. Sabbat have lost them. And in that loss, they've gained the Salubriante Tribute because now they can operate within a sect to exact vengeance against the other one where the clan that they hate that drove them to extinction resides. Right. Um, so along with the, the, uh, the uh, Harbingers of the Skulls, this is a, an alliance of convenience. I don't particularly care about your ideology. However, I am more powerful with you to fulfill my agenda than I am without you. Now let me be Gratiano. Mm, yeah, 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 drink. Yeah, you, you, you use a sword. You, you know, Okay, cool. We don't care. Drink. <laughs> right, that's that's right. the most important right. thing. Just drink right. and, we're, we're, and all is forgiven. Right, absolutely. Why, why drink? Vaniculum. And vaniculum is different from a blood bond. We've explained this before, and, and we'll give you a brief right now. Remember, a blood bond is complete and total enslavement to one person. Right. Vaniculum is an embraced loyalty, an enforced loyalty amongst anyone who takes a drink from the cup. And I do stress loyalty. Even if you get a level 10 vaniculum, it states in there that you may love that person. You may just simply be their family to you. Right. But you are devoted to that person in terms of you would die for them if need be. Right. But it does not read like you are love struck, dumb, following them everywhere. You're not you're not a slave. Right. That and that's the difference. It is loyalty extended as far as possible. It is the most extreme form. However, it is not enslavement in the same way that a traditional blood. You got it. Is. You got it. All right, so moving along, of course, you want to read through those clans, get get some information on the updates and things that have changed and the perspective on those clans, and, and to some degree that they, they have changed. One uniqueness, Venture Anti-Tribute. They bear noting because you're used to the boardroom venture, the power brokers, the money makers, those guys. Mm -hmm. The Venture Anti-Tribute are not that. The Venture Anti-Tribute at a whole, I like to think, I have a friend of mine who likes to think every single Venture Anti-Tribute as a knight, right? They're literally throwbacks to the Dark Age War of Princes. They're the guys who were out in the field doing the conquesting, believing in noble causes and ideals that were spoon-fed to them by their higher-ups to keep them on the hook. And when the higher-ups defied their own honor, a lot of them saw issue with that and were independent. They literally went to their own device. Now, device, excuse me. Later on, you'll learn about the Path of Honorable Cord and the people who were involved in it. It's almost unanimous that they're venture anti-tribute because that's where these knights found a home where honor means something unto death, and that's where they go. However, does that mean that you couldn't be a venture anti-tribute who likes Wall Street? No, it doesn't mean that. Right. Anything goes with it. It's interesting flavor to the anti-tribute. The number one mistake you can make is saying, well, all the clans that have anti-tribute after them are just the same thing, right? <laughs> right. No, it's, they're not. No, not I mean, at all. I mean, we, we've explored that in the previous book uh, about the Torador anti-tribute. Yep. They are the same clan. However, they're not. Uh, same thing with the Malkavian and the Malkavian anti-tribute. Uh, and, and also, it's important to note that the, those, those two clans are a little adjusted as well, so definitely read through those. Um, but the other thing that, that's happened, and I don't know if we went over this in, in the CAM or revised book uh, that we just reviewed, but something happened you know, in, in the, between those two books coming out where the clan, the Malkavian and Malkavian anti-tribute, now share the common thread of dementation. It is no longer dominate dementation. So something happened where, whether it was something through the Madness Network, something that, uh, you know, some virus, something that sprang forth, they all, basically they revised it. They In said, fact, they tell you whatever you want to say. Right, exactly. Whatever you want to pick and they give you some ideas. Right. So that's important to note, just a little little off uh, 
off the mark there. But um, uh, also, we have a cool little chart here that goes over all those titles. Man, I have a hell of a time remembering titles. This is super convenient that I can look through here and go, hey, look, Ductus. I could also call them Lord or Sergeant or Chief. And they give you the formal titles, the similar titles. It's it's cool. It's a cool little addition. It's something awesome to have. Now, now, why do they have that, though? Why it's there is because, well, out of game, it's flavor. Right. If you're playing a tabletop or live action, you're playing a Sabak character, if you have a Ductus, learn to pronounce their name in a mm-hmm. different light, their title, because it shows a personability. Right. It shows a differentiator. You know, what... Any Camarilla member with Sabatlor knows the call. Oh, you're the leader of the pack, so you're the Ductus. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's great, but they tell you that you can call your Ductus Lord. Right. Right? Or Sergeant, or depending on how it is, Chief. You know, whatever it is that gives them the honorific a level of personability to show that, hey, man, you're not us. You don't use what we use. It's important because gangs do the same thing. Right. Absolutely. And, and these aren't exclusive. So, like, in your own pack, you know, if you wanted... Uh, your ductus if you want if he wanted to be called major domo or something like that some other crazy title he could as long as it's fitting within the confines the motherfucking shogun of harlem is the shogun however to the archbishop he's just the goddamn right he's just the ductus of that pack (laughs) that's that's how that goes right so do not the titles still hold but the similar titles are honorifics right and i i think that the one thing that you need to take away from this book and we're seeing it here and we're going to see it further on here is the box where you fit all of this information, like the rite, the titles. Take that and make your pack unique with it. Use this as your jumping off point. You know, like you said, now I'm going to be Shogun of Harlem instead of Ductus of Harlem. Right, right, right. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to perform the Valdery, but I know I have to meet A, B, and C criteria. As long as I meet A, B, and C criteria, I can customize that ritual to fit my pack as the Shogun of Harlem. And you have to. Right. Uniqueness is what makes the pack. And uh, the form of address is the one thing I'm going to touch on, too. Form of address is a must. Very few people do it, including us. We keep forgetting a lot of the time because, let me take that back. We're not forgetting. We often talk about it. Uh, the fact is, is that if you don't know what we're addressing, what are we really doing but confusing you? So... Uh, well, thing in point, right? You don't just say, hey, priest, come help me out. It would be revered sir or revered madam that you address them at, and then we would know you're referring to the priest automatically because that's who's in the room. Why? There's a different form of address for the archbishop. Right. Even the damn regent has a different way to address them, and, and that's, that's how it's done. Why is it used in honorable terms? Because if we speak with etiquette, we maintain decorum. Same here. If I talk to you in an honorific, I maintain respect. I don't right. dumb down the title. That's the point. So um, through that awesome, awesome edition, they're going to go over all of these titles just like they do in the cam guide, right? And this is very important to me. Like, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about these because the titles are the same as they were in the previous book. However, you, player, storyteller, running your own game, need to read these. You need to understand these because you need to be able to portray these positions properly. And, you know, it's not to, like, pick on anybody at all, but there is no replacement for reading these books. We've said it in 50% of all of our podcasts. We should say it in 100% of them. There's no replacement for reading. We're just here to review, right? We're here to talk about our perspective and this book, but there's no replacement for reading. There's two things to point out. 
uh, who run, who runs the Sabat by title. Mm-hmm. The whole of the sect is ran by the regent, right? And a consistory of cardinals. The cardinals are the active members who come because they cover they cover regions, vast regions of Sabat territory. Right. They're the ones who give reports to the regent. The regent's the one who's making decisions on what to do and what not to do, based on her advice from the Prisci. That's how it works. Well, what's a Prisci and a Cardinal? How are they different? Cardinal's in the field risking neck, getting it done. Right. Prisci is that ancient elder whoever, or Cardinals who are no longer active, or unactive currently, who get put into the Prisci Council to do what they have. I, I say council, but it's really consistory as well. And they collectively have the strength of a Cardinal. That's, that's the point. Why do, you, why do they do it that way? Very similarly, it's like, uh, look at Parliament. Right. It's the same thing, the House of Lords, that sort of thing. Um, the first estate, the second estate, the third estate. That's why they do it. Because, yes, you're the monarch, you're the leader of all, but you damn well better be paying attention right. to what the reports are given in. And before you open your mouth, turn and get advice from the Pris guy. Right. And, and uh, they're very key to point out, like, these are, these are not individuals that necessarily need power, right? They're not, they're not arranging war efforts. They're not moving ar- armies across the battlefield. They're just old, powerful, smart motherfuckers, and you better consult with them because that's what—that's how they got there. They got—they yeah. may have been archbishops, they may have been uh, bishops. They, you know, they have done important things, and now they sit in this area where they can look at the situation and give advice based on their age and knowledge and experience, and that's what makes them powerful and important. Um, another unique thing about the Sabbat different than the Camarilla, they don't care what your age is right? in terms of titles, but your ancients tend to be the ones who hold title of Cardinal and whatnot. You don't get to be Cardinal without being something of substance. And like Nate said, done something great, but I'll give you one example. The Cardinal of the lands beyond the forest, which I almost positive is the honorific title of Velia the Vivisectionist. Mm-hmm. That's who they are. And Velia's is Amis. But it's Zemis who's near insane because of its unique structure. Has his own lover attached to his back that I think is like five years old. It's a something it's, weird and twisted. Mm-hmm. It's, I, it's I think a child. Older than that, but it's a child that he fell in love with on sight. And I feel like um, embrace a child. And and I'm paraphrasing because I haven't read the ca- character background in a long time, and we'll get to it in a later book. But from what I remember, embrace a child. The child was lost to the beast, and he was like. You you can stay with me. It's okay. Yeah. And just went plop and merged the two. So you have these two vampiric bodies that are connected through the use of vicissitude. One has been trying diligently to maintain their control over their beast. And meanwhile, there's this ravening lost to the beast child attached to it. But why do we make him cardinal? Or period. Why right. do we keep him? The answer is, is because you don't get those cool titles of priest, archbishop, cardinal, bishop. If you have a title of spirituality, it's because you have worth to teach. And that's straight up what it is. And that cardinal knows more about keeping your beast, guiding your beast, path talks, what have you. There's a spiritual depth to him that he'll be able to coach other warriors through that you're not going to find anywhere else. Plus, He's powerful, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So remember those two things. 
Right. Absolutely. Um, we talk about the archbishops and the bishops. That's essentially remaining unchanged. The one thing that uh, I don't believe the original Sabbat book had was the addition of the ductus or the ducti. Like now we've actually given term to the leader of the pack, the ductus. The priest is still there. The priest was there in that previous book. We we found him. I remember us seeing it, but they didn't put it in the title section. Right, it's right. Just, they said this dude is this. Right, absolutely. Yeah. But here they actually talk about it. They talk about the pack priests, and they talk about the Templars. And now uh, Templars are something we'll talk about in a book all their own. Uh, yeah, they get a lot more warranted attention. Yeah, absolutely. Later, so. They get they get definitely more than three paragraphs. Um, then we have the factions of the Sabbat. We talk about the Black Hand the Sabbat Inquisition, um, and that stuff has not changed, really, from the previous books. And the Black Hand, the real, or I'm sorry, the false Black Hand, whatever you want to call them, the yeah, Sabbat we call it the Black, Black Hand, hand in our terms. Um, they will have their own book, too, and we'll talk about them further. Um, we've talked about them a bunch. Strangely, but... the Sabbat Inquisition doesn't get their own book. Yeah, I always thought that was weird. It's, it's, it's They don't, and I think it's because they're more or less open and shut with it i mean they did they, <laughs> right. did, they did a mortal inquisition book right and i always felt they said well just embrace them then right just just take this and just apply <laughs> it to the sabbat you know turk and his friends embrace them you have the spot inquisition have right them. move on yeah they never got their own book it's weird um hey white wolf why is that maybe you should uh do something about that but you probably won't because v5 we're over here now right 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 we're right. over here now um then we talk about the the other the loyalist factions and this is cool too because this shows you like where a further like sort of hole that your character can fit into the different political ideologies of the Sabbat, the status quo, the moderates, the ultra conservatives, the old world chamasse, the La Sombra anti-tribu. This is all stuff that you want to read because this gives you way more flavor into what the Sabbat is. And for the record, we're glossing over it. We did read this in the first rendition of mm -hmm. Sabbat because they had that. So that's where it's asking you to read that. Right. We're trying to ramp towards what is Unlife in the Sabbat. Kind of get an idea what that's about. Right. Well, um, so when you think of the Sabbat and you have your handy packs, everybody has a title. We have our city. We know what we're doing. What's what's the big deal? Like, what's what's the point of running it through where we're at? Well, hopefully, your story to it didn't say, hey, man, start as a pack. Let's go through there. If you've never played Sabbat, that's kind of a bad bad place to start, in my opinion. Dude. I've played Sabbat. I went to the cemetery. I got shoveled. I got put in a hole. I'm Sabbat now, right? Well, you're talking about a creation, right? And if it was done well and it was memorable and you had fun, then yeah, you mm -hmm. you are. Right. But if it was done just like that, and eh. Right. Why? The creation, right, is what gives you, the player, an understanding of the turmoil, the struggle, the, the shock of selection. Here's a, here's a night in the life of what a creation, right, should be. You and, and I and, and oh, you listener there and me and Nate, we're sitting back doing a podcast and we're all in the same office building and the power goes out. Some weird roar is had. People come down the hall. There are shots, whatever. It gets to us. The door gets kicked open. We don't know what's going on. And we're held at gunpoint, told to come with whoever's there. Right. And some strange people. Point is, they get us in the van and tell us that we're going to die and, you know, make peace with God, whatever. And they're kind of chuckling because they leave one guy back there to sit there and look at us who keeps snickering with a shitty grin in his face and we don't know why. I won't go in depth with that, but just to let you know, it's all a test. The Sabbat who are about to embrace us in this scenario are testing our metal to see if we're worthy. But it's not just going to be in your say-so, right? We're now trying to find like, man, maybe I'm really not 
atheist. Maybe I am atheist. Oh, I'm, oh shit. I don't believe in God. Where am I going to go? These guys are fucking, man, I'm a former soldier. I'm going to get whatever walk of life you came from. Right. You are literally, it's all in your head as you're sweating bullets being drugged to this, wherever it is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a graveyard. Usually, traditionally, it's going to be. Now, once you get there and you get out, they're going to play games with you. Some strong head games. They're still testing you. Right. They want to see if you're going to fight or flight type mentality. That doesn't mean you're out of the... If you run, doesn't mean you're out of it. It just means, cool, you got some instinct to you. But if you freeze up, odds are that's the food. Odds are that's the food every time because we're trying to breed out weakness. And I think it's important to note, like, that old school, traditional, like, second ed, like, everyone gets a shovel party, everyone gets a shovel. That's that's not a thing. No. This sect is more nuanced, and it's adapted to be that way in the revised edition because, I mean, it should be. As nuanced as a Camarilla is, the Sabbat should be equal in in its creativity, in what's presented. And the focus is very heavily on the rights of the, the sect. A Camarilla embrace is a permission from the prince granted. It is, and you know, that's, that's a thing unto itself. But once granted, it's you going to your would-be chilled, and whether it's out of love or loyalty, whatever it is, living out this almost quasi-romantic, and it, not even quasi, it's a romantic notion that immortality will be laid at my feet and the world is my oyster at that point. And whatever life ever after that is. The Sabbat is a virtual mass rape of what's going on because we don't need you as you. We need the inner you. Right. We need that inner strength is what we were choosing you for. Or the block we're on because we're playing a numbers game that is looking for quality out of the quantity. Right. And how we're going to do that, we're going to take all of you from that apartment building, all 15 or wherever we got. We're going to bring you out and we're going to just embrace every single one of you. And then before you're able to turn... We dump you in this pit and we start filling it in. Right. And once it's filled in, we seal this some bitch. And by seal it, dirt's on top of you. And we're gonna sit out and see what happens. One of you's gonna come up, maybe even five of you. What if none of you come up? Eh. We've already buried you. Ah eh, shit, you know. Uh, we lost a batch. No worries. But what's going on in the mindset of the person in the ground? Right. It's you wake to being dead to not having to breathe, trying to breathe and you don't need to. Your, your thought is, I'm underground, and I can't move. You have this rage in you out, out of nowhere, and it's driven by hunger. There's, there's, there's other things moving, you can tell. Do you have that much control on waking up to have those thoughts, or did you just rage through and burst out of the ground? They want you to rage through, and most do, because you don't know what's going on, but your beast wants to survive. You're the beast, and as you tear up through this ground, you may fight each other. You may come up tearing at one another to get through. And oftentimes those tales go that way. Here, it's the storyteller nuance of just how tragic or awesome they want this to become. But the point is, when you get to the top, they're going to cool you out in any way, fashion they got to. Usually it's a stake or they'll just knock you and incapacitated, just to use the mechanic term, to where you can't fight back to just see what's what. Then they provide the food. You get your blood just enough to calm you out because now we're going to go hunting. Right. We still haven't explained shit. It's just now you get to come with us, and you better hurry because Don's coming. Right, and and the thing that they they emphasize here is that there are a thousand ways to enact the creation rights, and this is your turn as a player to be creative. To me, this is all about creativity. Right, we know we need to write. It has to do this now. Make it yours. And why it's important, it has to kill who you were. 
Yeah, absolutely. The burial act is to bury the human you were to come so you can emerge the monster we need you to be. Say it again. We buried the human. We need the monster. We need the vampire out of the ground is what, what they're doing. And it's all to wear down your morality because we need you to war. Right. Off the bat. They, they, talk, uh, they talk about one in here where um, maybe the pack that you are about to be embraced to, well, they chain you to the back of a running vehicle and you need to chew your own hands off to get out. Yep. Ain't nothing like uh, chewing off your own hands to change you as a person. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely this is that dark brutality that allows you to sort of explore those those different angles that you couldn't explore in a camera roll game. You just couldn't do it. It's just not, you know, because you're fighting against being the vampire you are in a camera roll game and right. why it's the most popular use. The spot game, you are that monster. Right. And it's it's not even it's literally that's what you are. And it's a shock to the system. And it's not like you're running out devouring the countryside immediately, um, or even if that's the goal. But the point is, you get to form where your place is in that necropolis, right? As so to speak. Now, once creation rights are done and you get to be with your pack, your pack's gonna. What, what, we're, what we're skipping here is that, or no, excuse me, what we're not gonna skip is that your pack will guide you, will guide you in every aspect you think that is. If you're a newborn neonate out the ground, it's their job to guide you in absolutely there's an unspoken position uh that one edition gets to well, I'll mention it now just so it sticks in your head it's called abbot and it's that that is not horrific basically you're the the nanny of the pack but it's it's treated with respect it is a low rank number if you want to be a dick about it in the pack but it is a position given because you're going to care for this guy this dude um perfect scene for it if you need a movie to help you with it look up near dark and you want to look at the scene where they're in the bar. It is an infamous, well, famous to me scene where it shows uh, Severn, who is the vampire character, taking the new cowboy embrace kid, and he puts him at the bar, and he deliberately starts antagonizing this dude at the bar to get him to attack the new, uh, new embrace vampire. And when he does, he like punches the kid, beats him up, but the kid doesn't really feel it. And he turns around, he's like, you son of a bitch, and punches him, knocks this guy out in one punch, because he flies across the room, hits a pool table and he's just out and he's like, did I do that? And mm -hmm. all the pack starts laughing. Did I do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what they're doing is is Severin's being an abbot and showing them, look kid, things are different, right? You're not who you were and get along to get along. And they're trying to get him to do his first kill in that scene. Highly recommend it. That does volumes of what we're talking about here, but that's just one example of what the abbot does. Let's say you're a Swedish murder machine. You, you need no education. You, Yes, you might have been a priest. You went in the ground and came out and was like, God's dead. And because of that, you're not who you are. And it's time to buzzsaw the countryside. And the pack is laughing, trying to keep up with you as you're running across the night. You, you dive into a Shoney's and go murder house right. on people. Well, the abbot is the one who's sitting there and go, man, you got to calm down. Because no doubt that guy's crying to himself by the time the rage leaves him. Sun's getting low. Right. And he's got to clean up the mess. He's like, hey, man, how about tomorrow night? We at least make sure it's like windowless. <laughs> in a place we you know what i mean provide humor solace this is where you get your cool build points right your infamous aliens army military scene fresh thought out where they build that camaraderie that's what the pack does for the new guy absolutely um we talk briefly about Rite here and uh we talk about the fun and games um we talked about in the um i believe we talked about it in the montreal by night book um we yes, may we, we may have talked about it in the earlier sabbat book but uh, some of the cool, some of the cool fun and games, the the 
it's not all war, right? You know, every <laughs> every once in a while, you got to get some R&R. And uh, here are some of the games that you can find. And then we talk about justice. We, you know, it's a it's a lawless uh, sect of, of marauders. No, they give us a little story here about, hey, here's a bishop that fucked up. And here's a bishop who unrepentantly fucked up. And here's some of the justice that he might have uh, visited upon him. Then we go into the Sabbat lexicon. I don't want to go through all these terms. These are terms you, you're going to want to read through. But what you were talking about, Bob, the abbot, it's the very first one. A vampire ghoul charged with the maintenance of a Sabbat Pax communal haven. My brain works. Right. Absolutely it does. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's not like there's no standing within the sect for it. But within the pack, definitely there is. And again, it could be a ghoul. Probably not, though. It's probably going to be a vampire. Maybe a new addition. Maybe somebody acquired from another pack or just kind of the low man on the totem pole. But the responsibility of that position is huge. And you can go through all these and, and it'll tell you, um, you know, the, the vulgar argot, the old form. This is awesome, right? You need to know these because these are going to come up on the test. Um, and then we get to finally we get to chapter two. Thank you for sticking with us. And chapter two, it's called Around the Fires, and it gives us those awesome two page exposés on the clans, how to build a character what they look like. And this is cool because it's going to give you now the Sabbat perspective, the Asimite uh, anti-tribute, for instance, it's going to give you that perspective on what's different here from their parent clan. Why are these different? And we get, we get a two page expose on the blood brothers. How cool is that? Have you ever played a blood brother, Bob? No, no, neither have I, but they'd be cool for, you know, including in your game very much. So, I have too much problem muting myself to play a blood brother. <laughs> right. It's, uh, I think that would be probably the most challenging since you need a twin. And you need someone that can complete your sentences. And yeah, that's probably a lot harder to do as a player than it is as a storyteller. But uh, uh, very cool. It goes through just like the Camarilla guide does with all the different clans. And there's actually a shit ton in here because it's not just the Shamase and the Lasambra. It's all of them. It's the Panders. It's the Ravno Anti-Tribute. It's the Salubri Anti-Tribute. It's all of these little uh, offshoots of the main clan. And what makes them different? What are they like within the sect? How do you build one? And then we get down to character creation, just like we did in the main book. And it's going to show you there's di there's differences. There's definitely differences to help you build this. So when you sit down with your your storyteller and you're going to build a Sabbat character, pop out this book, because this gives you all of the unique things that you need to make your Sabbat character. Straight up. It is definitely an invaluable tool. I'm gonna, you can do it without it. I'm going to call to to point a few skills here uh, that are must, in my opinion, uh, to read to get an idea of the flavor of the Sabbat. So there's a skill in here called Vamp, and it's a new ability. And what Vamp is, is literally using sexual innuendo and sex itself to seduce someone it is not seduction through being charming or charismatic or manipulative or what have you it's literally it's a way to sell your body to be the transaction and get you what you need now why it's in there sabat could give two rambunctious fucks about <laughs> sex right you don't care you're a thing so when you think of that uh term whenever i come into this section i read it I often think about uh, guys, girls, the Zemis, quasi-gender, be whatever gender they want. 
and using it. And even one of the hallmarks they say in here is possessed by uh, hooker spies, La Sombra, board housewives, and the like. And my favorite role playing in S and M. Um, the idea behind it is that there are people who cannot pull off the humanity of being subtle. And because of that, they fool the prey, the mortal in this question, by directly using their body. Now, I'm not saying they walk up and hump them. I'm saying like there's a, if you've never experienced this, I'll try to be on point here. Women and men know how to wear their clothing in such a way to draw attention, to, to bring the mind to that thought process. And then coyly, they may say, I didn't mean to draw that attention. I just look good in this. Yes, you did. You knew. And when people say that, you know what goes on with that. And it's a matter of perception and opinion. However, there are those people who damn well know what they're doing to dress a certain way. And we all know a term in society. It's called fuck me boots. That being an example, <laughs> I'm only saying it because whenever I hear that term, I laugh because my brain immediately comes back to this skill. Right. You were acknowledging that there is clothing and attire that is silently trying to coax someone into seeing you as someone to impress or whatever and attempt to bed you is the example but why would the sabbat need that skill well because they can't seduce you right? <laughs> right if i am a fanged out all the time full-time chainsaw when it comes to life and death warrior but i have this skill i may need to doll up in certain scenarios and try to get you to come outside your house right to get to where i can eat you and this is one said skill um a lot of players take it for granted they could do it because i have appearance five and it's great you're covered in blood, bro. <laughs> You're covered in blood. Right. You know, so right, kind of right. get that. Well, uh, and the, one of the other things that uh, we've included here, well, we didn't include shit because we didn't write this book, but uh, that's been included here are some new nature and demeanor archetypes. Uh, archetypes. I can speak words. Um, new natures and demeanors. Um, definitely more tailored towards the Sabbat. Um, new talents fortune telling, panhandling, like Bob was saying, like very specific things to the Sabbat because in the base book, they're general abilities, right? Yep. They should be covered by all. But the Sabbat has a unique set of requirements and a unique set of restrictions. And as such, they're apt to develop unique abilities. Now, could a Camarilla character learn some of these? Sure. You Knock know, yourself out. Right. It depends on your story. It depends on your character background. Um, but definitely more apt to find a Sabbat canine with black hand lore than you are a Camarilla member. And here's the deal. You, I highly doubt I'm going to find a Camarilla member with it because black hand <laughs> right, lore more or less outline, even in the Sabbat, right. your average Sabbat, your average Bishop doesn't have a clue exactly what the black hand is. They just know what some of the identifying marks might be, or that's a badass. Right. You know, that's it because that's how the black hand is. Having the lore means the black hand showed you it. Get how that works? Right, absolutely. I know because a dude who knew told me, and he knows in depth or whatever, you should have a good story with that. Right. I often see players with a black hand lower three because I'm Sabat, just because I don't want to get surprised. Yeah. No. <laughs> how about no? How about take your three points and put them? How about you get some more brawl and dodge? Right. I'd rather you do that and be a munchkin monster than take a lore that you know nothing about. Right, absolutely. Not that you have to know with every lore, but this is definitely, did you read it? Right, absolutely. It's not know it to know it. Is it to your background? That's the importance. Right. Um, then uh, we talk about uh, the existing backgrounds as they pertain to the Sabbat, because while they may be the same, they're going to have a different perspective within the confines of this sect. Additionally, we have new backgrounds, which is always cool. 
um, things like Sabbat status, rituals, uh, etc. Clan membership, ultimate yeah, identity. Absolutely. Um, we have a typical merits and flaws uh, unique to the Sabbat. Not as many as there are in the Camarilla, but definitely new ones. These are in addition to the ones out of the main book. Right. Not exception. Right. Absolutely. Then we move into the next chapter, and we don't ever really talk on these because just read it yourself. Um, but uh, that is the Sabbat specific disciplines, uh, thaumaturgical, um, the elder levels of assistitude, of obtenebration. Um, we have disciplines that are unique to the Sabbat uh, because of the new additions to the sect, uh, disciplines like Valren, uh, etc. And then we go into chapter five, Codes of the Night, where we talk about paths. And I mean, what's really to review here? We're, if you follow us on Patreon, if you're one of our backers, we will individually discuss these paths for you. And it's only $10 a month for two podcasts a month. We ain't doing it twice. You're right. We're not going to do it twice. You want to know about paths, read the book um, or, you know, hit us up on Patreon and listen to our podcasts. Um, but it goes over the distinct paths of enlightenment that are unique to the Sabbat. And they talk about the path of harmony. There's been some changes. Keep them or don't. It's up to you. That's a revised thing. And uh, let's get through here. There's a ton of them. There's a lot to read. And then we get to Rite. And? Or Rite. There we should probably put that big old dagger in it because the Rite are the majority of the rest of the book kind of play us out. They'll get to, I mean, just to finish off what else is in the book, after Rite, you get to the templates. Right. The exam, they're just the pre-made characters, like we told you about, that are in the mm -hmm. cam guide. Yeah, You'll get absolutely. Them too. And again, good ideas of, uh, if you need to make a city, it's hard enough for you to make your own ideas of what you want to play and how you want to play it city-wise, but... Absolutely. The, uh, and and I don't want to marginalize the last two chapters, because the last two chapters are super important, but... I mean, what's the review there? That it's for you to read. The rite is very, very important, and they give you a lot of ideas, a lot of the you know uh, super important ones. Some are updated, some are the same, um, but definitely it is uh, a wealth of inspiration there for you. Now we've because we've talked about rite and sabbat stories and nerd words and all that enough to where I feel that we've kind of hammered home that it's the rites that make the sabbat that really hold them together as being different and unique. And those rights you can make up. You can use a lot of the Rite they mention as a template and whatever. Remember, there's Ignoblis Rite and there's Octoritas Rite. And I'm butchering both those yeah, terms. I don't, I don't know care. if those are pronounced properly. But, but uh, the Octoritas Rite are ones that the sect-wide practice. The Ignoblis Rite are usually the ones that are locally done. And by locally, sure, they might be common, but they're, then you'll uh, have your pack stuff done. They're like dirt rights. They're ignoble. You know, they're, they're there. It's like shit you do with your pals. And that's the fun of, right. of all that in a nutshell. So um, that's much like the church. The Sabbat is bound by ritual. That's where they take their cue from. When you go to church, there is ritual to that event. And much like church, you go to church to reaffirm your morality. Right. Your sense of right and wrong. Uh, forgiveness. To, guilt. To, to be awash in your own faith. You know, to, to know how to live, to exist, to move forward, to be at one with your religious beliefs. That's what this is. The Sabbat do it. To reaffirm them being a vampire. Right, a right. A canite proper. And to keep them in one thing. They are not the weak Camarilla. Right. It's that simple. That's how they see it. How do you keep a warrior a warrior? Trial of pain. Mm -hmm. What's a trial of pain? 
I'm going to hook up a whole bunch of metallic hooks through every vulnerable part of my body and stretch in between three trees. And I'm going to have my pack hang me up. And if I scream, they're going to split me in half. They're going to put both halves together so I can heal again. But I failed. I got split in half because I screamed. Bob, you're going to scream anyway when you put that hook through your scrotum. No, I'm not. I'm a canine <laughs> hard ass. By will alone, I'm going to come through this. That seems a little over the top and psychotic. Yeah, you're not the Bruja auntie, are you? <laughs> right, and that's how it goes. Right. No saying. You're immortal making that judgment, aren't you? Right, right. Well, that's Absolutely. interesting. That's interesting. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, any final words for the guide to the Sabbat? Yes. I think if you're going to play the Sabbat, first and foremost, you have to be even more mature than those playing the Camarilla. Why? It's not that the Sabbat are humorless. They're very dark. Yeah. They are a dark reflection. They're, they're vampires. They're not mortals pretending to be vampires pretending to be you know what i mean it's it's their straight up vampires i mean these guys come out the ground ready to kill and ready to fight for what they believe in and who they are more importantly though they have a very interesting form of spirituality to them that makes them sort of these i don't know i almost see them as flagellants in the fact that they're they we want forgiveness but don't want forgive it depends on what angle you want to look at the sabbat but one thing's for certain they're able to wage a war on multiple fronts against everything. I do mean everything. These guys hunt werewolves. Right. The Sabbat consider that a fun pastime. And, and the weak die and the strong learn. And they get better. They only get stronger. Where the Camarilla are terrified of these right. things. You know, do whatever you can to make a deal to get away from them. I think that uh, for me, looking at this, I definitely agree with you on that maturity uh, note. The Sabbat, where the Camarilla is like a romantic horror right it's like mary shelley's frankenstein it's like dracula to draw a conclusion this is brutality this is definitely like a near dark situation and you need to be mature because like th there really isn't any way around the brutality of what the sabbat is does maturity mean you can't laugh no no, no not absolutely not maturity means you know the line right and what's and, and you're and you're able to emotionally deal with the themes that are going to there be brought you go to that's the table. exactly what it is so definitely it is the sabbat's not for everyone some people look at it and go i just can't wrap my brain around it i don't have any interest in it you're not wrong but for those of us that do like that more really kind of challenging horror the sabbat are for you i don't want to play zemis who uses babies to convert them to crack pipes and smoke baby butt so don't that's not what I do. Right. That's a, will I find it in the Sabbat? Sure. Some sicko about to get spiked by the black hand is going to do that once. <laughs> right. Once. <laughs> right. But uh, they got something coming. Right. It, it, it's it, just remember, it's not all baby butt crack pipes. Oh, I wish I can coin I wish I can coin that. That actually comes from White Wolf. <laughs> baby butt crack just pipes. Just so you know. They, right. It's one of the most profound statements they've ever made. It is. Jokingly yeah. referring to the Sabbat. Yeah. That's pretty fucked up. But uh, totally, totally entertaining. Um, I, I say like you did at the beginning, we preface this three books you need to play this game, three books you absolutely need to play this game. And this is one of them, Sabat guide, cam guide, and your choice, I would say V20 these days, but your choice right. of, of core rule book, um, outside of that, I, I love it. It, I think it is the most informative version of this book. And I honestly can't wait to see how this company capitalizes on that and improves on it or changes it going forward with their V5. Um, next week, we are reviewing Children of the Night. So we're going to get an update into all of those core 
plot characters and a bunch of new ones that we've never talked about before and their sort of lot in the uh, ongoing uh, meta plot towards Gehenna. So, Shows of Night's a good book. Yeah, it's a good book. It's got a lot of cool characters and a lot of interesting stuff in it. And uh, we're going to get to talk about some of those odd, confusing things that have happened that are uh, sort of bookending this book. <laughs> uh, I think some of you might know what we're talking about. But uh, we talked about Tyler. I'm pretty sure she's in this book. I know There's, she is. Yeah. There is a butt ton of characters in here. So it's going to be one of the most inclusive meta plot character books that they ever release because it's so, all the book is yeah it's a good book so i'm um, definitely tune in for that review we'll go over some of those characters and um talk about how good the book is and whether or not it's a piece of garbage and you should buy it or not until next week i'm nathan and i'm bob and enjoy your blood, blood. Until the cops are ready to rock.